Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Man, do I love that theme song. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Bears, Chicken, and Trills to episode 26 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Those are the Muppets and Star Trek, and we do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest Madeline Kahn and the original series episode, Errand of Mercy. All right, and please tell us about the wonderful and awesome Madeline Kahn, Steve. Madeline Kahn, actress, singer, comedy icon, best known for uh, Mel Brooks films like Young Frankenstein and later hits like Clue and even got back-to-back Oscar nominations for Paper Moon in 73 and Blazing Saddles in 74. Such a good movie. Uh, She was nominated for Golden Globe, an Oscar, a Drama Desk Award, a Tony Award. She was nominated. She was everywhere. But what does our generation know her from? All of the above. And also in one of her final roles, she played Gypsy in A Bug's Life, which is kind of a a timeless Pixar classic. I forgot about that. But this week on The Muppet Show on stage, Kermit opens up with a classic Muppet hit, the iconic number Happy Feet that everyone knows. Man, what a classic. Following this, Madeline sings another song about feet, your feet, lavishly sprawled in a general depiction of a Persian palace with her backup dancers, The Mutations. Up next, Animal does a random drum solo that he yells words over. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Afterward, we find ourselves outside in the Swedish chef's kitchen for another iconic sketch. He's cooking lobster. He puts a lobster in the pot and then a bunch of bandit lobsters <laughs> with six shooters break in and hold him hostage and rescue their compadre. And then they all exit shooting their six. Sh- it is. Such She's a classic totally sketch. Totally goofy and wonderful. Oh my gosh, what a classic sketch. Next up, Floyd sings New York State of Mind with some backup. It's a great slow jazzy number. It's just very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. We then get our very first swine track ever. Uh, a mistake and a misogynistic attitude with controls leads to the captain getting his head caught in a door. <laughs> Following this, we get Fozzie's comedy act. He begins to perform a song. The pig got up and wa- slowly walked away. This draws the attention of multiple pigs from the show who like gang up on Fozzie and he paddles off stage. Madeline then has an odd sketch with this big monster where he continues to ruin things as she talks about how much she loves them. And then she talks about how great he is and how successful he is at being terrible. And he like shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. This is like just like shrinking her problem. <laughs> and then she hits him with uh, her umbrella. It's weird. It's odd. It is odd. Uh, up next, we have a Muppet News flash of the reporters that reporters are blowing up and the reporter blows up. Uh, Rolf gets a nice solo number or kind of the beginning of one. He plays up, up and away in the candelabra, like let, takes off like a rocket. That's cute. Backstage this week, Sam starts out by coming to tell Miss Khan that he can't let her go on and needs to protect her. Uh, but meanwhile, she's putting on a goofy wig and a Groucho glasses. And he's and like, she forget is. it. I don't want yeah. to protect you anymore. The backstage plot this week overall centers around Madeline, who helps Gonzo get his nose unstuck, and he falls in love with her. Gonzo <laughs> finds Miss Piggy to let her down easy. 
uh, that he's no longer in love with her. Gonzo shows up in a tux planning to marry Madeline Kahn and kind of makes up uh, this idea of what their life would be together. Uh, The funny thing here is that the tuxedo is from his magic act, which springs up a few times. My favorite of which later is when Madeline goes to grab a hanky and then just pulls out all these colorful hankies over and over again. (laughs) It was really a funny bit. Uh, Towards the end of the show, Gonzo overhears Madeline lamenting with Kermit about how seriously he took her compliment earlier. And then he sings the wishing song. And this is another all-time Muppet classic. Uh, Madeline comes to comfort him and he finishes his song. And it's just really a beautiful number. It's really funny. She starts to comfort him and he's like, can I do anything for you? And he's like, yeah, can I finish my song? Let me finish my song. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Finally, we are at the closing curtain where Gonzo reminds Madeline that their perfect suburban dream will never be. And that she's going to have to go to all the PTA meetings for their hypothetical children alone. Hmm. And that is what we call the Muppet Show this week. We sure do. Let's talk about the music. Happy Feet. Man, what a song. By uh, Music by Milton Agger. Lyrics by Jack Yellen. Jack Yellen also wrote lyrics for Happy Days Are Here Again, uh, which was Franklin Delano, uh, which was Franklin Roosevelt's theme for his 1932 campaign run. Huh. Your Feet by Ronnie Graham, who, like Madeline, you will also recognize from Mel Brooks films. Really? Yeah, like he played the priest in Spaceballs. Huh. You'll recognize him. Uh, Foggy Day, uh, which is supposedly what what Animal performs, that drum thing. <laughs> right. It was originally titled A Foggy Day in London Town. Oh, I know that It's a song. reference to the pollution-filled fogs that used to fill London at the time the song was written. Isn't that one? A foggy day. In London town, you have me low, you have me down. That sounds way too jazzy, but maybe. (laughs) That's a Frank Sinatra classic. New York State of Mind by Billy Joel, just a year or so before this episode came out, from his album Turnstiles, which was all about being forced to move from L.A. back to New York. Uh, Uh, The pig got up and slowly walked away. This is a song from the Temperance Movement, (laughs) which led Prohibition and was one of the themes for prohibition and all the songs were basically cautionary tales about like the terrible things that happen when you drink, like waking up next to a pig. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> right. So they, they just, it, weird song choice up, up and away, which Rolf begins to play at the 10th annual Grammy awards, in 1968. He, it won record of the year song of the year, best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals, best performance by a vocal group, best performance by a chorus and best contemporary song. Jeez. Yeah, holy crap. That's a lot. Yeah, every award. Uh, so, German, what did you think of this week's episode with Madeline Kahn? Um, I generally liked it. Uh, I just think that this is another case, unfortunately, of uh, another Mel Brooks favorite not being used very well in the episode. I don't, I don't think she's used enough. Um, her scenes were good. They were funny. But it's just she's so outrageously talented that I just don't think she was featured as well as she could have been. Um but not to say it was a bad episode. I actually even enjoyed the weird um, monster destroying everything she likes thing. It was just, it was strange, but I thought it was well done and consistent within itself. So it was fun. And I'm seeing, we're getting more Gonzo this season, which I like. Um, oh yeah. Very Gonzo heavy. Yeah. Episode. Cause Absolutely. he's one of my favorite ones in the movies. Cause Steve and I watched all the movies for our old play on nerds podcast. And he was him and uh, Rizzo were like my favorite. So oh, Rizzo doesn't come until season three, maybe four, gotcha. when Steve Whitmire joins the cast. Oh, okay. Steve Whitmire's going to just passed away recently, wasn't he? No, he's the guy who got fired from being Kermit. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Morgonzo, I like. Um, I think it's like a kind of a lower middle episode for me because uh, it didn't do as well as it could have. I don't know. What do you think? This is one of those episodes where the highs are really high. And I think I said it for three different things here. Three different sketches are all time best Muppet Show sketches in this episode. Happy Feet. Uh, the the lobsters and the Swedish chef that was pretty great. so good, uh, and then a wishing song at the end and pigs in space, and then the first pigs in space. There are a lot of reasons to like this episode, but for whatever reason, you're right; it just didn't end up great. Didn't click. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't it know wasn't why. Cohesive it just enough, didn't end up think. great. Um, and is it Swine Trek or is it Pigs in Space? Or is it both? Pigs in space. The the swine track is, I think, the name of the ship. If I remember correctly. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, that's there's our trick connection right there. <laughs> Captain Link, Hawthorne. Yes, both have spaceships. I think is what I wrote. <laughs> there we <clears> go. <throat> so yeah, probably a middle could have been better episode, but a lot of great sketches. So check it yeah. out if you haven't seen it, folks. And German, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Oh, I, I put down pigs in space because it was new to me and I forgot that existed. And there's just a lot going on with the sets there and moving that everybody around. So I thought that was impressive and on its own accord. Uh, I've got to give it to the lobsters. Oh, yes. for, for just being simple hand puppets with rods and then the guns and the little effect. It was just so well done. That's true. There's a lot going on for just little lobsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Jaron, tell us about this week's the original series episode that we watched. All right. So this week we have Errand of Mercy. So this is our first um, encounter of the Cleons in all of original Star Trek, which is pretty yeah, awesome. That's crazy. So we have uh, negotiations between those Klingons and the Federation are collapsing. Uh, they're on the verge of war. So the Enterprise is sent to a planet called Organia, Organia uh, which is like a neutral planet, not involved in the conflict, but in a very strategic position. So they want to get there before the Klingons do, so they can, don't have an advantage. But on the way there, uh, the Enterprise is attacked by a Klingon vessel, and the Enterprise destroys it pretty much in one fell swoop. But um, that's a bad sign for things going down near Organia. So Kirk and Spock go down to the planet, and they find the town to be kind of like a medieval timesy kind of uh, era. But the weird part is none of the townspeople are even bothered by them beaming suddenly into their town. So it was kind of odd at first. <laughs> uh, Kirk encounters Aylborn, who is this guy who's like the head of the council, who just kind of walks up to them and says, I good to see you. And he's very friendly. Everyone there is smiling, very happy. And so Kirk is talking to this Aylborn, and he wants him to convince him to let the Federation help them to resist the Klingons coming, who are going to be occupying their planet any time now. But the Organians uh, adamantly oppose any use of violence. So they say they won't resist in any way, shape, or form, even though Kirk's begging them to take some assistance. And uh, when the Klingon fleet appears in orbit, um, Kirk orders the Enterprise to withdraw, which strands him and Spock on the planet without any help from anybody else. So Elborn disguises Kirk and Spock to avoid suspicion, and the Klingons seize control of the planet without any resistance, uh, pissing off Kirk. He's like, these people are so, like cowards, basically. Um, so basically, the Klingon officer Kor comes down, and Kor is going to be throughout all of Star Trek. He's kind of mentioned in, in later episodes as well. And he's going to become the military governor of Organia. Um, Kor has Spock questioned with a mind sifter, some kind of device that can spy and interrogate your mind. Um, and he has Kirk become the Organian civilian liaison uh, so he can help the occupation force take over the town because he thinks that he's an Organian as well. But Spock uses his mental discipline to withstand the scrutiny of the device and he pretends that he's a Spock, a Vulcan traitor on that planet who's not part of the Federation. 
But um, that evening, an attempt to inspire the Organians, Spock and Kirk sabotage a munitions dump outside the town. So Aelborn then tells the Klingons that uh, Kirk and Spock are really with the Federation because he wants to avoid any further violence. And so they are taken uh, captive by the Klingons. But then he and the council, Elborn, uh, free both Kirk and Spock from the, the prison so that the Klingons can't torture them. And while Kirk and Spock are out, they try to understand the council's weird actions and why they're doing these contradictory things. And Kirk orders, or Kor, orders the execution of 200 Organians, but yet the council still doesn't seem bothered and still have smiles in their faces. Um, so as the Federation and Klingon fleets are approaching this planet to start a big war, uh, Kirk and Spock raid the Klingon headquarters in hope of rousing the population into resistance, but they cannot rouse these people. Um, they capture Kor and prepare to make a last stand, and the Organians reveal themselves and their true nature, which of course are godlike powerful entities, which we've seen many times before. Uh, yes. Um, and they are highly advanced incorporeal beings that... Uh, they instantly incapacitate both sides. They can take control of all the forces of the Klingons and the Federation, and they make them agree to a cessation of hostilities. And the Organians uh, predict that the two sides will work together in the future at some point. So they're forced into a treaty, and the Treaty of Organia, I think it's called eventually, and that's the end of the episode. So, a very formative episode of Star Trek, as we can see, because they're seeing the Klingons for the first time and all that. Mm -hmm. Um and they were named after Gene Roddenberry's friend, Bob Klingon, with a C. And so he called them Klingons. Um, and in the script, it's really terrible, but the Klingons were originally described as oriental and hard-faced. <laughs> so that's not aged well. Um, an audio clip of Spock's line about pure energy uh, was used in a very popular song uh, called Pure Energy from the Information Society in 1988 and it reached number three in the billboard what top 100 charts uh which is pretty wow, cool all right. Pure energy um the episode title comes from the life and adventures of nicholas nickleby by charles dickens um which is kind of neat and that little sash that core wears they actually use that exact same sash um for Worf in the first season of star trek the next generation not a recreation but the same exact one he used he wears that for the whole first season of next generation which is pretty cool mm. And the set where Spock and Kirk shoot two Klingons, the same set where Captain Pike is killing that giant with a spear, which I didn't notice when I was watching. That's pretty cool. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Same and, kind of era. Yeah, look. exactly. Yeah. And in the any original Battlestar Galactica fans out there, uh, the guy who played Kor also plays Lord Baltar in that series. And uh, yeah, that's our trivia. So what did you think of this uh, formative episode, Steve? Um. So things I liked, uh, I liked that Spock looked like a level one D&D &D character <laughs> he did. for the bulk of it. This is like plus one cloak. <laughs> That's right. Uh, from an acting point of view, I liked that getting to see Kirk play low. Mm. Where like he's playing subservient. It's just an interesting angle you don't get to see with him often. So at the very least, it was like, oh, okay. Being forced into that role, yeah. Uh, and then Klingons, as you said, very cool, very iconic. Maybe a little dumbed down. If anything, I wanted more. Maybe that was one of my issues. Kind of, they felt like they weren't they weren't complete. Right, that's true. Uh, and then this falls into a category of episodes that I really dislike, <laughs> where an all powerful race just laughing at the futility of mankind. Like, are they done with this trope yet? <laughs> I don't no, think so. We're going to see it so many times. I've got such a bad feeling we're going to see it so many times. All the way through the other <sighs> series, too. 
Good, good. <laughs> Just wait for it. Um, but overall, I put like middle to middle high episode. Um, I felt like the villain was a little lackluster. Core was a little lackluster and maybe oh. could have been a little harder. Or- I liked his interactions just, with Kirk. I know, but these all, all of these villains feel like Shakespearean actors. And I just want one of them to feel like a villain. I could see that. Yeah. They're playing all the same kind. Of oh, Kirk, it's so exciting to meet you. I'd hope to meet you on the field of battle. You're so honorable and your, your convictions, Captain, but they are misplaced. <laughs> um, I, I just want a villain that feels like a villain. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna freaking kill you, Captain. <laughs> Say what you will about Khan, at least he felt like a villain. <laughs> and even in later movies where Kirk faces off against Klingons, like in Star Trek Five, I think it is, um, with uh, Christopher Lloyd playing the Klingon. Uh, three. Oh, three. I think. Well, not, he's not the one. Uh, Christopher Plummer, when he's playing the Klingon in Five. Five. He's doing Shakespeare that as well. <laughs> so. Yeah. That doesn't really go to meet you, Kirk. <laughs> well, the, the I, like, all mine. I wonder if the guy with the eye patch is the bad guy. <laughs> I think he is. <laughs> you wouldn't know from how he speaks, though. He's like an educated oh, Shakespearean scholar. So, German, I've got some great Trek connections this week. Oh, I'm excited. High Anxiety with Madeline Kahn and Star Trek Four were both partially filmed in the Fort Point neighborhood of San Francisco. Hey. Hey. <laughs> That was the best one. <laughs> uh, both Leonard Nimoy and Madeline Kahn are both from Boston. All right. Uh, Madeline was in the classic Clue, which also starred Christopher Lloyd, who played Krug in one of the Star Trek films we just talked about. Hey, I love that movie, Clue. It's fantastic. And also from Clue, Michael McKeon, who was in a Voyager episode, The Clown. That's right. Uh, Jaron, do we have any similarities this week? We already sure talked do. earlier how about they both have spaceships. <laughs> yes. I wrote that down. So this is some real legitimate similarities here. Okay. Uh, Statler and Waldorf turn away from the show, but they can still hear it. Just like the Organians seem to just pretend the violence wasn't happening, but it really was. Wow. Deep. Yeah, that is deep. Both feature people getting held up by violent invaders. The Klingons and the people of the planet and the Swedish chef by the lobsters. <laughs> That's similar to mine. I said two instances of, instances of someone underestimating their prey, Swedish chef and the Klingons. <laughs> the Klingons and the Organians. Oh, yeah. So that, that, uh, that, 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 Do you have another one? Some, both feature someone extremely pleased to meet someone else. Kor with Kirk and Gonzo with Madeline Kahn. I'm very pleased to meet you, Kirk. I'd hoped it'd be on the field of battle. Oh, oh God. What is that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. I believe the malfunction is happening with the transporter. Um, so this is the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode. And uh, go ahead, Steve. What you got for us? So coming from Trek to the Muppet Show this week, I've got the Klingons. And having them replace the mutations as the backup singers and do the musical number with Madeline Kahn. That'd be fantastic. Um, I wanted (laughs) the Swedish chef to take over for the head of the Organians, the the Aylborn guy. (laughs) Because (laughs) if Kor was annoyed by just their smiling alone, he'll really hate having to communicate with the Swedish chef. (laughs) He's going to hate that. (laughs) We said surrender. (laughs) 
Uh, Muppets to Shrek this week. I've got the lobsters replacing the Klingons. <laughs> they come storming in on horseback, guns blazing, making demands in broken English and shouting at Kirk. Full size horses and regular size lobsters. Full size horses. <laughs> Full size guns too, for whatever reason. <laughs> Just attached to their side. Well, it would be those. It would be those goofy Klingon pistols. Oh yes, of course, disruptors. That's right. Uh, Core <laughs> would replace the monster who destroys everything Khan likes. A Madeline Khan? No, not okay, Khan yeah. from Star Trek. <laughs> oh, you like this tree? How about I destroy it? <laughs> oh, you like that bench? Gone. It, it'd be something terrible if something happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm a fierce commander. <laughs> like, come on. Come so on. that indignant uh, tone brings us to the end of episode 26 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Milton Burl And original series episode, The Alternative Factor. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Thank you.